Hi, I'm Natalie Nowak, and you're listening to On My Way to a BFA. This podcast chronicles my experiences as I go through the process of getting my BFA in musical theater at the Hart School. On last month's episode, I interviewed Wicked and Finding Neverland's Christine Dwyer, who also graduated from the Hart School. So if you haven't listened to that, go ahead and check that out, and then come back and listen to this one. This month, I had the opportunity to interview Karen Mason, who you may know from the Broadway productions of Mamma Mia, Hairspray, Sunset Boulevard, where she was the standby for Glenn Close, or perhaps Jerome Robbins Broadway or Wonderland. She is now on the national tour of Love Never Dies, which is the sequel to The Phantom of the Opera, where she is portraying Madame Giry. I did this interview with her over the summer, right before school started, and she was just about to begin rehearsals for Love Never Dies. So in this interview, we talked about her college experience and what led her to be the performer she is today, as well as her history with theater and some of the amazing roles she's taken on. And then we talked a little bit about stepping into the famous role of Madame Giry. Without further ado, here is my interview with Karen Mason. Hey, Karen, how are you? I'm good, Natalie. It's so great to actually hear your voice. Yes. Yeah, we've been uh, trying to figure out audio setups and everything this morning. So but we've got yeah. it down now. So this is great. So this old gal just learned how to do a new skill. You did. So I'm happy about that. You did. So I would like to start off by talking about college because you were telling me the other day that you studied theater at the University of Illinois, but then left and came back. So can you tell me a little more about that? Yes, actually. In college, I let's see, I graduated high school in 1969 and went to college, but I was just fairly, um, not unhappy, but I, I was confused over my choices. I mean, I certainly knew which direction I wanted to go, but as happens with an awful lot of family dynamics with kids who want to be in the arts, my parents didn't necessarily see it the same way I did. And it really tried to push me into, um, you know, other situations that they thought would be better financially for me for my future. And of course, I read that as they think I'm going to lose Mm -hmm. and not be successful in what I want to do. So I really basically screwed up college. (laughs) I I went for a, a long time, but started to do some really uh, crazy things. I started to lie about going to class and just really wasting a lot of time and, of course, their money. And they found out about it. And, uh, you know, as would be expected, they were not particularly pleased. (laughs) So I got kicked out of the house, out of my parents' house, which is where I was. I stayed home for school. Uh, which I think was also part of the problem. You know, it's impossible mm-hmm. to have that learning curve when you're still under your you yeah. know, parents' house. Yeah, definitely. Oh, really hard. And so I, I um, went off on my own. And in 1976, I met a gentleman I worked with for 16 years who really turned my life around, whose name was Brian Lasser. Up to that time, I was doing an awful lot of community theater and really, well, I guess it was all community theater. And then I met Brian at a restaurant in Chicago, and he and I started working together. I really found my way. And in 1999, I decided that I did not want to greet the new millennium as a college dropout. <laughs> and so I 
got in touch with my college professor, who I was still in touch with, who actually has become a friend and a and a fan, <laughs> and he guided me through it, and I got my degree in June of 1999. Wow. So I actually, I was the oldest graduate that year, and <laughs> um, it, it was, I was very happy to complete it. I, I felt, you know, there are just those things that are open-ended that you want to finish, and I, I was very happy to do that. Yeah, I think it's great that you went back because I feel like, you know, it's a difficult decision either way. It's like, do I just continue on with what I'm doing or do I go back and how will that affect my career, you know? Right, right, right. It was it was a really good thing. You know, I, I think as you get older, you realize you really want to complete those things that you screwed up along <laughs> the way. You know, the important ones. There are certain ones you can't do anything about, but but some of the important ones, if you get a a chance at it, it's it's a good thing to tie up those ends. Definitely. And I wanted to go back to what you said about parents kind of being worried about their children having a career in the arts, because I know that <laughs> that is a hot topic these days, at least with me and my friends and talking about, you know, some of our parents are like, go for it and go do it. And then some people are like, no, you should consider other options. So right. I feel like it's because parents don't think it's a, you know, quote unquote, real job because it's not guaranteed that you will be consistently working. So I would like to know how you dealt with the time in between shows in your career, both financially and emotionally, and how your parents felt about all of that. Right. Well, I, I early on wanted to be in show business so badly that I would not mind living impoverished. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I... That whole idea of the starving artist, it, it did not turn me off in any way. I know a lot of people, some of my friends who just could not handle it and decided that it really wasn't for them. I would pretty much did anything I could. When I met Brian, I had a job as a, a receptionist in um, a company in Glenview, Illinois. And hey, I know Glenview. That's like 15 minutes from where I am. Yeah. <laughs> well, they called me the roving receptionist because I was <laughs> never at my desk. And, you know, I, I was personable. I had a great time, but I was totally unhappy because what I really wanted to be doing was singing professionally. Yeah. And when I met Brian Lasser, we started doing uh, private parties and concerts. And when we moved to New York, we were lucky that we could come back to Chicago and work and spend all of the money we made in Chicago back in New York. Yeah. The only time that I ever had to have an outside job was in 1984 when I had a paralyzed vocal cord. Uh, which was My comparable goodness. to Bell's palsy. Yeah, not a great thing. No. And it went away, you know, luckily, very, very, very luckily after five and a half months. But, you know, that was the only time I really had to have an outside job. But it's not like we had a lot of money either. You know, mm -hmm. we we were doing one night a week in uh, at a little club down in the village called The Duplex. And... We were working our way up the cabaret food chain here in New York, and both he and I didn't care that, you know, we didn't have tons of money, but we had enough to survive and enough to keep promoting our career. 
And that seemed to be okay. We were both so happy working with each other and making music that the rest of it didn't matter. And my parents, well, my I'd probably say my parents were happy after I met Brian. And it's not that they felt that I had someone to take care of me, but I think they felt like I had someone to take care of me. I think they felt (laughs) that I had someone to share it with and they trusted Brian and liked him very much. And I think at that point also realized there was no turning back for me, that that was what I was going to do. They helped me financially every once in a while, you know, and listen, it's the arts. You have to have people it, it doesn't hurt to have people who support you financially along the way. It's mm-hmm. it's kind of part of it. And, you know, if you can get a job as a, a, a waitress, which I always wanted, but no mm-hmm. one would hire me as, um, or a bartender, you know, whatever the job in between so that you can keep working on your art, it's very, you know, it's important to just keep having the joy and the passion, the premier focus of your life, if you really want to continue doing it. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think what you were saying about, you know, the cabaret scene and all of that, creating your own work is so important, because not only just having odd jobs that can financially support you, but then going and doing something creative between shows, it's like, like doing this podcast, it's, you know, something I can create during school, when I have a break time, I can just work on this and you doing those cabaret shows. It's I think it's just important to keep putting things out there and keep creating Absolutely. You know, it's uh, I think when Brian and I first started working, I was just doing a lot of community theater. And I thought, wow, I just love singing with him. Yeah, it's all that mattered. And then, you know, he died in 1992. And luckily, along the way, I had, you know, we did some recording, both of us really wanted to pursue theater, you just have to keep that that spirit in your soul alive yeah, yeah, by definitely. creating something. And, you know, if it brings you joy in, in that creation, in that creativity, then you found gold for yourself. When I think you can't see any more options for yourself, that it gets really hard. Yeah. And I'm not saying along the way, I haven't felt that, you know, that mm-hmm. I was what, you know, what am I doing with my life? I've been in the business now a long time and it's not an easy choice of a life, but it's um, a great choice of a life. (laughs) I I definitely agree. And I know you said that completing your education was very important for you. Do you think that it is crucial for people who want to be on Broadway to go to college for theater? Or do you think that it doesn't really matter? I've asked a lot of people and there are a lot of different answers to this. Yeah. Love to hear what you think. Well, I think, and the the smarter you are, the better you are. Learning is such an important part of being an artist that if you are in college and working and working and working and getting better and smarter about your craft, then the art will be, you know, you'll, I think you'll know yourself so much better. When I was in college, you know, and I, I, again, it was a long time ago, so (laughs) I'm not exactly sure how a lot of the uh, theater programs are now, you know, I would hope that they're giving a lot more information about the business part. But you can explore so many different things about yourself as an artist 
that once you get out into the marketplace, it's harder because of money, financing, time, mm -hmm. and what you have accessible to you in school is a lot of other people who are passionate about your work yeah. and their work. And you can create so many different things and learn so much about yourself. It's, it's important to know, and I don't mean this, a lot of times people will say it's important to know who you are as an artist. Mm -hmm. What I think is important to know is not necessarily you know, what category you're going to be in. Because you really, it, that's going to change yeah. throughout your life. I think what's important is to know what your strengths are as an artist and continually be working on those and on things that are not as strong for you. And when you're in school, you have so many more opportunities to explore that than you do once you're out in the marketplace. I think it's just a lot harder. So I would say if you're happy in school and you're you know, nobody's offered you a Broadway contract yet, I'd say mm -hmm. stay in school and learn as much as you can and explore as much as you can about who you are as an artist. Yeah, and college is such a safe space full of professors who believe in you and other classmates who believe in you too, to kind of explore that. Once you get out of college, there's going to be hundreds of people vying for every role. Yeah. So what you want to do is make sure you explore every aspect of that, play every part you can, do everything you can while you're in school so that when you get out, you know, you're really confident and aware of who you are as a as an artist. Yeah, I love that. And I want to go back in a minute to talking about more of the typecasting. But I like what you said about figuring out who you are as an artist, what your strengths and weaknesses are. So can you tell me what you have learned about yourself as far as your strengths and weaknesses as an artist? Sure. Now this, I learned over 150 years in the business. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm good at storytelling. I feel like that is one of my strengths is that I I am a good storyteller. I'm I have learned to be unafraid of a cabaret audience. You know, that is mm -hmm. something that's very it's a very different skill to have. Yeah. And to know how to be yourself on stage, I can do that. Probably what is less uh, easy for me is, well, first of all, I'm not a dancer. I'm what you would call a personality mover. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that kind of thing is a little bit, that's definitely not my strengths category. And, you know, I am constantly fighting myself over my abilities to act. It's such a funny thing, you know, uh, it, it's such a funny thing that, that storytelling is an important part of being an actor, Yeah. but I have, I guess I beat myself up because somehow it always seems like there's something more mysterious out there that somehow I haven't learned, hmm. you know, I, I guess that's though what keeps us all trying yeah. and moving forward is that question in the back of your mind. And I, because I am a, I, I think I am a really good storyteller. I am a good storyteller. And I can find my way through a song. I can, I can make a song fit me. Sure. 
which is uh, something I learned after working with brilliant arrangers, how to find an arc in a song and really tell a beginning, middle, and an end uh, in, in a three-and-a-half-minute song. But when it comes to acting with words, that is where my, not Achilles heel, but mm-hmm. it's it's definitely something I have to, I'm continually working on that. I'm better when it has a soundtrack. <laughs> yeah, no, that makes total sense. And how do you, you said you're you're working on it now. Do you, what is your process for if you're given a script or if you're in a show and you're like, okay, this is, this is the acting part. There's no music here. How do you approach, how do you approach it knowing that you're a little more apprehensive about it? I uh, try to find a good coach. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I still go to voice lessons and I still try to find people who are that, those outside eyes to help me. It really does get you through those moments because, you know, I still have those little voices in the back of my head saying, no, no, no. You know, you, I, I start seeing like almost a white light, you know, sure. it's, uh, yeah. like, ah, please don't, don't call on me, sister. <laughs> And so having a coach help, you know, give me signposts along the way really uh, opens up my eyes and also helps me walk through the door of trusting that I can do this. Now, if I don't have access to a coach, I try to utilize what they have told me throughout the many times I've worked with coaches you know, try to look at the whys, the wherefores. Why am I walking into the room? Why am I in this scene? What do I want? All those actor questions that I tried to help myself get through it. But I do prefer working with a director or a coach. Yeah. And I think it's so important to know that we are never done learning as artists. It's not like you reach a certain point and you're like, okay, I am perfect at everything now. I don't need to work with people because you still take voice lessons and do all that. And I think that that's great because there's always more to learn and more to soak up from so many different people who can be our coaches or our mentors. Absolutely. And that's the exciting part, honestly. If you feel like you know everything, then I I just, I'm not quite sure what would be the point because we all go into this because we're curious. Yes. And we have something to say and want to share it and want to learn new things. That passion is all about learning, learning about new people to be able to express their stories, learning about new situations that you can, you know, describe to somebody and share with somebody. You know, friends of mine have basically kind of stopped learning. Mm -hmm. I just, I actually think that's kind of sad because it is very important to keep learning, to keep exploring. I think it's a very, very important thing to do. Yeah, me too. And I think that's what makes your career and my hopefully future career so interesting is that, you know, it's ongoing. And right. And life changes along the way, you know, your your what you want from life, what you see life being able to give you, that perspective changes. Your perspective of being a brand new, you know, an artist who's on the beginning of her career is a lot different than mine who's, you know, on the back nine, as they say. (laughs) And what you want, I think basically what we all want is probably 
about the same thing, but you know, what you're willing to do for it, what you perceive as opportunity is a little bit different. And, and, uh, that's okay. You have to keep reevaluating. You know, with the learning, you're always reevaluating also what you want, where you want to be. I'm always fascinated by people say they have when they have five year plans. And I think, yeah. how do you know? <laughs> yeah. How do you know what's going to happen tomorrow? I don't know what I'm eating for breakfast tomorrow. I do not have a five year plan. Are you kidding me? Oh my goodness. I have a five minute plan. Same, <laughs> Same here, Karen. <laughs> So it's a it's a different world than a you know than a business going into a five year plan yeah. I think and you know you just have to keep your eyes open and your heart open and your mind open and walking forward is my you know keep just moving onward I love that looking into the future a little bit one role that is very popular among a lot of girls my age is Elphaba in Wicked that is something that <laughs> if I could do anything that's what I would do so. I would like to know from you, were there any roles that you really wanted to play and then ended up playing? And also, were there some that you went in for, but you didn't get? Uh, probably the list of ones I went in for and didn't get is a lot longer than the ones that I did get. <laughs> um, <laughs> one role I always wanted to play was I really wanted to play Mama Rose. Mm -hmm. Always wanted, you know, for a belter, yeah. for a you know, a lusty person who is a belter, that is, and my generation was it. And I did get a chance to play it at uh, um, the Sundance Theater Festival in 1998. That was the first time I played it. And it was definitely, as my friend says, it was a meal. Yeah. I had such a great time playing it. I loved that woman and loved that role and singing and it's funny because I did it in 98. I did it two times after that in late 90s. And then the early uh, 2000s, I did it at the St. Louis Muni Opera. And doing Mama Rose three different times in my life and being older, of course, with each time that I did it. And I think there was almost like a 10-year lapse between the first and the last time that I did it. I certainly understood her determination on a whole different level the last time I did it. And it's that determination, that blind determination that you have to have, you know, that Mama Rose, Rose saw the light. She saw what she wanted and she went after it. And she would pretty much do anything to get there. That's not necessarily this, you know, my MO, but I, I totally understood it. I, I grasp that need that right down into your marrow that you have to have what you want. Mm -hmm. That was pretty great to be able to do that. Rose's turn. It was funny. Rose's turn was not my favorite. Really? I loved singing it, but I have to say everything's coming up. Rose is really mm -hmm spoke to me in a whole different way that convincing people that this is what you want and making them see it. <laughs> yeah. Really? I loved it. I loved it so much. Other roles. I mean, I, I, there've been so many I've auditioned. I've been very lucky in that I've auditioned for quite a lot. Mm -hmm. The other side of that is that I haven't gotten everything that I wanted, but 
you know, so goes show business. Yeah. But along the way, I have gotten to do, um, I, I really enjoyed Sunset Boulevard being the, uh, the cover for that, the standby for the role of Norma Desmond in Los Angeles and New York. I loved doing that role. <laughs> I was, I, I had never been a cover, uh, for a role before and, it was certainly a big learning curve for me. I um, bet it was. Yeah. You know, it's funny. My, my cabaret chops really did help that because you never get previews in cabaret. You're basically on. Oh, my it's gosh. That's opening. true. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I, that really helped uh, my fearlessness as far as getting up and doing the role. But I didn't realize that there really was not going to be any kind of rehearsal for me as a standby until the company really was running. And it would have been like maybe six months after we opened out in Los Angeles that understudy rehearsal would have been planned. So instead of panicking and losing all my hair, I decided (laughs) to hire a coach. So I hired a friend of mine, Justin Ross, to help me with it, to sit with me, because Glenn Close had not done a musical in a long time, and it was a big old show and a big sing for her. So I assumed she probably would be missing, and that woman did not for a long time. The the first time I got to go on was we opened in November, and I the first time I went on was uh, February of the following year. And, um, and I got noticed that I would be doing the Sunday, the Sunday evening performance that she would do the matinee and I would do the evening. And it was, I I got three days to wear the costumes and try the costume changes. But that was the first time that a lot of the props I had used, uh, because we had not had the understudy rehearsal yet. So I, I, wow. So you were just kind of thrown into it that's crazy oh yeah it was it was pretty wild and I took about 10 minutes off the show because I was saying the lines a lot faster in fact (laughs) the stage manager came up to me after the show and he goes now that was really great Karen now breathe (laughs) (laughs) okay yeah I haven't done that yet but that was a lot of fun I've loved the roles I've gotten a chance to play um at one point I would love to play Mame oh that's a great role yeah, I love that music so much, and uh, I've always been a Jerry Herman fan. You know, there are a lot of roles I'd love to do, but I think that's some of the older musicals are the ones that, maybe because just of growing up during those years, they're the ones that, that I would, I'd like to be able to do before I'm too old. Sure, definitely. And looking back at your career and every aspect of it, is there anything that if you could go back, you would do differently? Whoa. Wow. That's, um, that's a big, yeah, I probably would have taken dance class. (laughs) (laughs) I think I would have done, I would have been a little bit more prepared for dance class than, uh, you know, and not be so afraid of it. But putting on tights for me is, you know, that's a, a huge emotional process. (laughs) So, uh, I think I, I would have liked to have tried to been more in tune with, my physical person and not be so afraid of it, not be so afraid of failing at Mm -hmm. it. But the rest of it, no, I like what I did. You know, yeah, I wish I had made a lot more money earlier on, but that wasn't necessarily in 
my uh, control. I loved working with Brian. I loved learning who I was with Brian. I loved recording. I have seven CDs. That's yeah, awesome. You know, yeah, yeah it is. I, I like what I've done with my career. I, you know, yes, I wish things would have happened bigger. But again, that's not necessarily in my control. And I, I, uh, I'm very happy with who I have been as an artist and who I have been as a person along the way. I think that's wonderful. And I also think that even in those times when, you know, you wish all of us, I'm sure as artists at one point or another, it's like, okay, I wish I was making more money now. I wish I was doing this. But all of those tough times, you know, I believe that everything happened for a reason. So I think that even in those tough times, it's affecting something else. And, you know, things link to other things. And when you can look back and say, okay, that's why that happened. So I could do this fantastic thing. I think even in the tough times, it's it's happening so that things can work out in your favor. So, you know. Absolutely. Well, in your favor, I think if it's it's I think from for me, it's it's about what can you learn from it? What can you see in this situation that will make you stronger for the next time? You know, will make you a better artist. What new insight? And you know, you're never you're not probably going to get that during the tough times. Yeah. It will always be after the fact that you'll realize new strengths that you got, new insights, new determination that that you that you have. And um, you know, not everybody's going to be Meryl Streep. Mm-hmm. There's gonna or Glenn Close. You know, there are a lot of amazing, amazing artists that I've met and continue to meet along the way. And, you know, I want to work with the people who um, love to work and, and find joy in it, you know, really love what they're doing. Yeah. That, those are the people you want to work with. Definitely. Yeah. Those are the only, you know, and you can control that to a certain extent, Mm -hmm. but you, you know, definitely can choose, who within when you're doing a show and and you can choose within that show who are the ones that you want to share the process with yeah and i you think know. just working alongside other amazing artists like you said who absolutely love what they do is so inspiring and it informs oh, your work too which is right. which is wonderful you know i get to do an awful lot of benefits and a lot of times i will complain all the way up to the time of actually getting to do the benefit <laughs> You know, oh, I wish I weren't doing this or to put on makeup and do a song, one song. And then I get there and I get a chance to watch these amazing people who aren't household names, who just find who are just joyful and really good at what they're doing. And you get a chance to be inspired. And then when you also get a chance to pass on what you've learned throughout the years, and be with, you know, someone like you who is, again, on the beginning mm-hmm. of your artistic path and all that passion that you have for it and all that insight that you have as, at a very young age. Sometimes, you know, when you get to be my age, you forget all of that. Yeah. You forget what it was like to be at the beginning. And it, it reignites my my passion and re- inspires me. It's uh, it's a good thing to do with your life. It really is. <laughs> yeah. 
I agree with you 100%. Yeah. And when my parents finally said to me, you know, we're very proud of you, that was a big day. I bet. I bet. It was actually, we had, Brian and I had done our first concert in Chicago at a place called the Park West. And we had been doing a lot of, we had worked at a a small gay cabaret called uh, Le Pub and been doing shows and building up our audience. And we got this opportunity and uh, my parents actually bought me my outfit mm-hmm. that I would wear on stage. And the note said, we are so very proud of you. Oh, that's so know. sweet. That was, it yeah. was very, very sweet. Made it even better to be on that stage singing. Yeah, that's great. That's awesome. So now switching gears a little bit, I have an interest in health and wellness. So I'm wondering if there are any particular things that you have done, whether it's vocal health, physical, emotional health that have allowed you to sustain a successful career? Who? Um, you know, I'm constantly changing that as I learn more and more. You really do have to take care of yourself mm-hmm. physically when you, even, you know, people will talk about singing and it's just in this small little area, but boy, yeah, it's, it's, everywhere. Got, <laughs> it's everywhere. You know, if you're strong mentally, If you're, it all affects those tiny little cords, those tiny little muscles that in your, are are in your throat. I try to really take care of myself. I, I do as best I can cutting out sugar Mm -hmm. because sugar makes me a little loopy. But for me as a singer, it creates an awful lot of phlegm for me. Yeah. So I try to stay away from that. The mental issue for me is is a big one because I will continue working, 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 working and have no issue. And the second my guard is down, I will catch a cold. Mm -hmm. That has been kind of an issue for me (laughs) throughout my (laughs) life. So I'm not quite sure what to do with that. But um, there's always people telling you new little things, you know, new, new essential oils. That oh, should- oh, I love essential oils. <laughs> <laughs> so a friend of mine just sent me one called On Guard. I oh, think. okay. I think I've heard of that one. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I've been doing that. She said that she had some vocal issues and she now does like three drops of it in tea in the, in the morning. Somebody suggested uh, oil of oregano. Mm-hmm. Also, you know, especially with flying, I do an awful lot of of flying, and flying can be really tough. Yeah, on a flying singer. is so drying on the vocal cords. It's it's drying yeah. and all that bad air. Yeah, I've actually started flying with masks now. Oh, really? Yeah, because I get so tired of catching colds. Yeah. And, um, so I, you know, I look odd, but, um, <laughs> but it's I, worth it. It is worth it. Absolutely. For yeah. my mental health more than anything. And, uh, yeah, so I, I now try to do anything I can to, uh, keep myself healthy. I, I have not gone to the gym in a while, but <laughs> I need to start going back because I'll be, you know, starting up on a, a new project, which is the tour of Love Never Dies. Can you tell me about what you're about to embark on and how it this opportunity came about? It's the extension. It's what happens to the Phantom of the Opera 10 years later. And I know they uh, did a production of this in London, and um, it didn't go so well. 
So they reconfigured it and mounted a production over in Australia. And it went very, very, very well. That's the production that's being toured, that we're taking on tour. And my agent called and said, would you be interested in doing this? And it's a tour and uh, it's for, you know, a year contract. And I said, for what role? And he said, Madame Giry. And I said, sure, but you do remember my audition for the Broadway company of Phantom, right? Because Madame Giry in the Phantom, Phantom of the Opera, sings very, very, very high. (laughs) At some point, she sings very high. And I went in on my audition. This was for a replacement. And I I told my agent, I said, I I don't think this is going to be a good audition for me. And are you sure they want to see me? No, no, go in, go in. It'll be great. So I went in. This was for Phantom of the Opera. And Kristen Blodgett, who is the musical supervisor for those productions, she said, thank you, Karen, so much for coming in. (laughs) But she did not even want to hear me attempt to go for that high note because she knew it would sound like I was killing cats. Oh, my goodness. I don't believe that. (laughs) (laughs) And so she said, but how can you have Karen Mason in the room and not have her sing? So she said, do you have anything else? I said, well, I wasn't really prepared for anything else. So I said, well, I just did this uh, film audition where I sang Somewhere Over the Rainbow. Would you like that? And she said, yes, please. So I sang Somewhere Over the Rainbow for my Phantom of the Opera audition. And as I was leaving the room, all these women who were auditioning, who were all friends of mine who I've known for many years, all cocked their heads like, what was that? (laughs) (laughs) I said, you're, you know, your place in this audition is safe. I uh, did not get it at all. (laughs) And I went home and told my agent, please don't make me do that again. Well, when Kristen Blodgett was working on Love Never Dies, I guess they asked if I would like to come in and audition. And the role of Madame Giry is a different and certainly fits my voice a lot better now. And I went in and auditioned and Kristen said, that's how it should be done. They had me, I call, I was called back twice, put on video and then waited about a week to hear. And of course, in my head, you know, that week goes by and I'm thinking, I'm losing it, I'm losing it, I'm losing it. And they called and said they would like to offer you the role of Madangiri in the tour. And so we worked it all out. I um, signed my contracts and, you know, we're, we're starting rehearsals very, very soon. We go to quite a few towns and we open, the official opening is in Detroit, Michigan at the beautiful Fisher Theater. So I'm so excited about it. It's going to be a whole new adventure and, you know, to be out on tour. I've never actually been on a year tour. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. It seems like a such a unique lifestyle touring. I know. Well, we'll find yeah. out. You know, check in with me about six months. Hey, we'll- I will. We'll have you back on. We'll say, Karen, how's it going out there? And, uh, you know, I'm, it's we're going to some fun cities and uh, we'll be doing three weeks in Chicago in March. So, that is so great. I'm looking forward to that. Then I'll get a chance to see my family and they'll get a chance to come see what I've been doing for the years. 
Yeah, that is awesome and super yeah. exciting. So hopefully one of your – I think that the tour does come to Hartford, I'm pretty sure. So if I can work it out and the schedule works out, I will definitely be there to see you. Great. And Great. Yeah. So that that's all my questions. Thank you so much for doing this interview. Oh, thank you so much, Natalie, for having me on the show. You're a very bright young woman, and I, I you know, you're just going to have such an incredible uh, life ahead of you, such an incredible adventure. I know. Oh, thank you so much. You're so welcome. Take care. Thanks. You too. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of On My Way to a BFA. Before we go, I wanted to take this time to let you know that I am also doing a segment every Monday on Today on Broadway, which is, of course, on Broadway radio. I do the theatrical schedule, so check it out. And make sure to follow me on Twitter at Natalie underscore Nowak. Also follow at Broadway Radio for updates and tweet me with any feedback or questions. Thanks. <laughs>